Welcome everyone back to Bond by Numbers. It's going to be a fun casual discussion here today with me, Josh, Jeff, and Scott. We're here to talk about the 60th anniversary of Dr. No. Doctor. Doctor. Is that a Thompson twin song? Doctor, doctor. It could be. Tell me, is your something burning? I don't know the lyrics clearly, but I think now you're reminding me of twins. Yeah. Now, now you're kind of reminding me of the injustice that the Thompson twins never did a Bond song. Yeah, that is injustice, my friend. Yeah, I mean they had they had Duran Duran and they had Rita Coolidge and they had uh, well, I mean who would? Aha! Come on! Oh boy! You know, and why couldn't they have the Thompson twins? Yeah, all three of them, which I always enjoyed. But we shouldn't really be talking about (laughs) you know Bond songs here today. I mean, what is Doctor No known for for regarding a Bond song besides Monty Norman's theme? Well, I mean, I I, I guess there's. Yeah, the mango tree. I yeah, suppose. jump up, yeah. jump up, yeah, Jamaica, jump up. Jump yeah, up, jump yeah, up. that's Jamaica, definitely true. You know, mm-hmm. definitely true. There's but some yeah, drive in the in the soundtrack for sure. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was watching a documentary, and Chris Blackwell, the founder of Island Records, who was also mm-hmm. the location manager for uh, the Eon production crew when they were filming Doctor mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. he mentions that Byron Lee and the Dragonairs. Of course, mm. you know, who do the song Jump Up in the in the film, and they're featured right on the celluloid, right, in the scene where, uh, in Pussfellows Bar, they were considered at the time the greatest band in Jamaica. And if Chris Blackwell is saying that, obviously you have to agree. I mean, this is the guy that signed Bob Marley, right? So Yeah. And, of course, Chris Blackwell's mom and the connection to Fleming, you know. <laughs> yeah, <that's>, coincidentally, because uh... <laughs> it was Fleming who got Chris Blackwell for Broccoli and Saltzman. That's right, yeah. He, yeah, they arranged it to happen, yeah. For those who were not in the know, uh, Ian Fleming had an affair with Chris Blackwell's mother. Well, a long-standing one, too. Not just a fling. Long-standing, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, but, uh, you know, yeah, welcome, uh, welcome to the show. Josh, try not to I'm, hold the, the cup in front of your mouth when you're talking. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's something, something pretty good about uh, that style of podcast they can they can tell we're, we're ha- they can tell we're having coffee <laughs> obviously it's it's, it's coffee it's, uh, how i know it gives it a certain verisimilitude i'm does, using my campbell's that. soup yeti today yes mm-hmm. <laughs> with a string <laughs> hey man you gotta start out somewhere i'm actually visualizing like myself like in 1932 like in a boxcar you know i have like the patches on my raggedy coat or something like that and and that stick with like the uh, with, with the picnic basket stick. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and stuff and are kind of like a, a i kind of have a kind of a i don't have i don't have a hobo beard yet but uh it's getting there no. yeah. yeah you got a ways like, to go like steve the tramp from like dick tracy or something like go. that you know or like you know to be more sophisticated like Joel McRae in um, Sullivan's Travels, right? So something like that. That was over my head, buddy. Yeah, I didn't. Sullivan's Travels, Preston Sturgis's 1942 film. No, I, uh, I'm. Uh, it's all about a guy who decides lost. to become a hobo to make some philosophical point about society. A very rich man oh. who goes ahead and, and, and does it. Yeah, uh, Joel McRae, Veronica Lake. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's so it's basically, it's like Undercover Boss. Way before. Uh, I'm sure Preston Sturges, the great comic <laughs> master of Hollywood, it was probably rolling in his grave in <laughs> comparison. But still. What's left of him in that grave? I'm, he probably is, though. <laughs> well, decomposition has different rates, but that's morbid. Uh, <laughs> well, how about how about the guys who did... Did you see the one? Did you see the one about the three guys who were going to talk about Dr. No? Because I heard that's a good one. 
Yeah. Were they blind? Oh, I, we're we're going we're gonna to go into that. <laughs> I've been recently been yeah. reading up a lot of like film history and whatnot. So it's simple, just uh, razzmatazz to start at the show. That's all. There you go. <laughs> so we don't actually have a format for today's episode where we are going back to look at Dr. <laughs> no. This, this, this is coffee talk. This is just a chance for the three of us uh, to have a look at this influential film, this film that started it all mm-hmm. back in 1962, and it's the 60th anniversary. The Bond community's got lots of different stuff going on this year. There's going to be lots of screenings of Dr. No. There's great, already great um, podcast episodes and YouTube clips, and, you know, there's there's stuff going on already. I'm not sure if officially there's much going on. I don't know what uh, the Broccoli's have got planned, uh, Broccoli, Wilson, and co., Maybe it'll be a new big announcement maybe. on who the next Bond is or when yeah. they plan to, to, yep. to like an, a, release, yep. a tentative release date or something like that. Or, yeah, maybe later in the summer or in the autumn they might uh, say yeah. something. But I still think we're early in that game, guys. I really do. I still think we're oh, yeah. there. I'll just be at least a year before we hear anything, yeah. personally. And with the Amazon purchase, I'll, you know, that's the big yeah, thing going exactly. through now. Um, the reason I think we're still really early in the in, in the process with that decision, that bond decision, is my phone hasn't been ringing. Has, he, has your phone been ringing, Jeff? <laughs> no, but I usually have it on silent. Uh, but, you might but, have missed the call. I might have. <laughs> we're being recruited as the next, per, uh, as the next Purvis and Wade. Oh, there you go. Well, we've got the credentials, <laughs> as we outlined in the last episode. Yes, clearly. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's 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 focus in here, guys. Back to the world of Doctor No. This is our yes. coffee talk retrospective. We have not we're not providing a review because we've done that. Mm. We already did that, and we did a cracking good job at it back in season one. So a lot of the information about the film itself, go back there, everybody, and check it out if if you want, or the many other great reviews of Doctor No out there. Um, although I think ours, you know, knocking on three hours has got feature friendly content deep dive you name it we got it there for you back in season one yeah Yeah. if you're going for a long drive uh, it's a good recommendation for sure off a wharf (laughs) (laughs) short drive off a wharf (laughs) to crab key crab key (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. uh, right so josh you did come up with a little idea though you you think you'd like to start with some some uh, first impressions yeah yeah yeah, I kind of suggested it's sort of a somewhat of a structure to the conversation, but you know we're going to go play it as as naturalistic as possible. And I just suggested that you know we've seen Doctor No before. I've seen it several times. I, I find always uh, Doctor No is a film that gets better every time you watch it. Actually, that's what I'm, I'm not speaking say. in terms of quality. Oh, yeah. I'm just talking about in terms of like. Stuff that doesn't annoy you as much, sorry, stuff that annoyed you a little bit earlier doesn't really bother you as much, and you kind of just sort of acclimatize (laughs) to it and just accept Uh, things like, you know, Bond kind of being bored at Honey's story about the guy and the Black Widow. Like, I just found that, watched that the other night and just him being... And then what happened? And he just looks so bored, like he doesn't want to have that conversation. Now, maybe it was Connery was a, still an amateur actor at the time. Maybe he just wasn't conveying that emotion right. Maybe he was he was uncomfortable with her story. But to me, it seemed like he was like, if he had a channel clicker, he would use it right now to go to like, I don't know, to like a football match <laughs> or something like that mm. at that moment, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> I just I just noticed that uh, when I watched it, I'm like, that's unfortunate. But seriously, uh, 
I, I think there's stuff in terms of plot and pacing. I kind of appreciate the movie a bit more. I also appreciate just like the real approach that um, Saltzman and Broccoli went with Doctor No was they had it was very it's very grounded. There's a, there's a sense of realism through most of, of of the film until you get to like Crab Key, and that's where we sort of go in the direction of yeah. classic James Bond. You know, an introduction to that. I, I agree with you, um, especially the fact that with for me and and this watch through, it didn't bother me or I didn't feel as I guess awkward watching it. Like the cringe worthy moments, I kind of just went with it, and there was a lot of things that I actually think I appreciated more now this time potentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i really did i think i i appreciated connery's portrayal of bond maybe it was just maybe it was just this time i don't know maybe i just had a clean like a more of a clean slate in my mind watching it but uh, there was a there was a, quite a few things that maybe didn't bother me as much as the first time i mean maybe it was also because i just knew the cringeworthy moments were coming and i was just kind of like going from there but uh, there was a lot of things that I, I definitely had, I guess, more "quote unquote" fun watching it this time, uh, if that's if that makes sense. But uh, it was definitely an enjoyable watch again. It just you know, and uh, yeah. But I, but I, it's funny because the way you were descri- describing, uh, like when you rewatched Doctor No, that's exactly the way I felt actually. I feel like it's almost two movies in style. You know, like the first half is like the build up to. Getting to Crab Key, yeah, and the second half is, yeah, it it kind of feels, is, you like know, the is two films, the, the Crab almost. Key, one's where almost it's like a, more a over the top, a, like a tighter sort of like build up spy movie, and then you kind of have like the over the top, like the over the top slash like mid to late sixties Bond, you know, uh, layer and 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 big you know fights and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the beginning of the film is a lot more of a setup with a little more tradecraft and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, definitely the tradecraft aspect is what really pulls me into Dr. No from the very beginning. Right like, from the beginning, the, yeah. First of all, you know, you're stylistically, you're put in a place of kind of being above the material because, you know, it begins with the really kind of those weird, I guess it's supposed to be the, the crab key radar installation sounds. And then we get the famous Dan yeah. Jack, you know, gun barrel sequence. Yep. And, um, of course, it's like very different from what we would normally expect in the modern Bond films, and then it goes right into the to the opening titles immediately, right? Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we get, and this leads into, of course, the translucent from the James Bond with all the those dots. You know, that was nicely modeled in, in No yeah. Time to Die. Yeah. And then we go into, of course, that transition to the Jamaican dancer silhouettes. Uh, all the way into the three blind mice, and then of course the execution of Strangways. And man, I got to say though, like watching this in high definition is fantastic. Like the blue is great. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. and like nineteen sixty one, like Kingston, Jamaica looks good on screen. And but you can really feel that it's not the modern Jamaica that we see nowadays. It's still that the colonial Jamaica is still holding on there just a little bit. You know what I mean? Like a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, now, didn't they yeah, film of course. There I mean, you've got Colonial or... House for one thing. Yeah, yeah you know, Colonial you've, House. You've the, yep. Yeah, you've got that. You've got Plendel Smythe, whatever his name is. But just before we go into like features, like, like parts or scenes or whatever, am I right in saying then, guys, that both of you have um, come back to this film you, when you did your rewatch and you've kind of gained more out of it than you did before? Yeah. 
And uh, that's yeah. not that's not just because you know we're a Bond show and you're offering fan service. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you can look back on something and criticize it as well. But yeah, we've done. I, I think I'm probably also a, a little bit more forgiving a Doctor No. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I was when we did the review because it was always one oh. that I compared to the Roger Moore ones I liked growing up. Compared to the Pierce Brosnan action, I felt Doctor No was always the VHS that I'd put on, maybe a little less than the Dalton or the Moore. But now. I feel a lot of, um, yeah, I, I got a lot of time for Dr. No. And I think what Josh was saying about the plot and the pacing, it, it, maybe getting older has something to do with that. You got more forgiveness for things Leniency, or you're happier maybe. for what, yeah. a straight ahead. Hmm. Potentially, yeah. Um, so I, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I think we're all kind of coming at it from the same perspective um, that Dr. No, it, it, uh, it does hold up, you know, it holds up. Yeah, in the Bond it series, it, 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 it does. In the Bond series, yeah. it does. You have to basically classify it as a Bond movie for it to hold up in the present. There's no argument there. Uh, oh, totally. So, yes. uh, yeah. yeah. So you have to, you know, excuse certain things that, you know, we'll probably talk about as the conversation goes. But I would say, like, Dr. No from Rush With Love, Goldfinger, I think that's like, it's the ultimate Connery period. I mean, Thunderball to me is sort of the beginning of, the, 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 the downslope? Yeah. The decline? Well, I mean, I really I, I enjoyed Thunderball immensely, but stuff that was done in Thunderball was done way better in Dr. No, in my opinion. Well, and it depends it, on what, what, what you like, because Thunderball is a very bloated production, deliberately exactly. so, financially and in terms of story. So if. Uh, yes. If, yeah. You got it on the nail, Scott. Like, consider, you know, the Crab Key setup, um, Dr. No's installation, Ken Adams' beautiful sets, for example, Dr. No's lair. The power plant, uh, even like the hotel rooms, uh, Bond's hotel room, yeah, for example, uh, even like the Le Cirque Club, M's office. And this was all done by Ken Adam. And this is, to me, is the most mm-hmm. uh, grounded Ken Adam that we see in the entire series. Yeah, because going, to Doctor, yeah, going it, from Dr. No, we go to Sid Kane, who did the production designer for Mushroom of Love. And he also did a grounded portrayal of things as well, even more so than Dr. No. And, and for Mushroom of Love, uh, even with like Blofeld's you know, like his yacht, or for example, the Spectre Island, it's nowhere as, you know, over the top-ish as what we saw in Dr. No, but following what comes after from Usher of Love, when Ken Adam fully comes on in Goldfinger, even though even then he's more restrained, gradually, you know, that's when we, we're, we're approaching stylistically that apex in the Bond aesthetic, mm-hmm. right? So we're going towards that. And Dr. No is kind of just the beginning of that time period. Yeah. Things are more subtle. Things yeah. are a little more grounded. Things. Well, yeah, because it's, yeah. it's, it's the very beginning. So it's they're, they got to start somewhere. And you can see where sort of like the, the spark for those kind of sets. You can definitely see like, well, okay, Ken Adams has an idea. And then it just each... You know, each Can film, him, yeah. he just um, he just uh, keeps building upon it, right? So, and that's why you can see, like, oh, these are these are great sets, and you can see sort of he uses, uh, you know, a lot of you know mm-hmm. big space and, and sort of interesting. Um, I can't think of the right word, but uh, sort of just like dynamics of a room and and mise en scène and all that kind of stuff. If you want to use that term, <laughs> um, and, mm-hmm. and then it no, that's go, exactly it, it goes yeah, it goes from there, mm-hmm. uh, and and the way the lighting is done. So uh, I mean, that's why I mean, obviously, with Doctor No was the beginning, but you could just see like you know the light bulb. 
flicked on <laughs> and mm-hmm. he just yeah, he just keeps going from there the right? so exactly absolutely exactly and then you consider you know like if you look at even look at the credits you know that nostalgia comes back okay so you got ted moore doing the cinematography and he did it with and he did it several times in the bond series you know he was a he was he was a great cinematographer and he did his work very well in dr no yeah and that's why I call not just to Ken Adams' set design, right. production design as a whole, but we also have to look at, for example, um, just to how the use of on-location filming is so crucial to the Bond formula. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. as we talked about, like, yeah. Kingston looks fantastic, Jamaica looks fantastic on film. And uh, that was that's really part of immersing you into that world of Bond is that exactly. one, you know, that just like that veneer of realism and then, you know, gradually going into okay this is a james bond story this is well, yeah. this is a story that w- that w- that in the original adapt in the original source material had bond fighting a giant squid and they left that out because they thought <laughs> that was just too much right mm-hmm. so they're restrained here how could they do that on a million dollar budget <laughs> that's it. yeah and, they, and make it look good unless they got good. like the one from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, and oh, maybe yeah, that's got what that I was one. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they got Kirk Douglas to come in and show Sean Connery how to train. I have no idea. <laughs> here's how you spear them. <laughs> yeah, here's how you spear them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's it's all. And of course, we have Peter Hunt editing. Um, we have the the you know the key cast being introduced, like Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell. Um, I'll just say something, buddy, just to interrupt you there on on the editing. That's one thing I did notice watching it this time around, which I I know we talked about it when we reviewed the film, but the editing, I really was kind of taken by it. It's very, very strong, like, and very unique, too. What am I trying to say when I say unique? It's like there's a print on it that seems to influence the further films. And yeah, okay, Peter Mm -hmm. Hunt, we know, is an editor, but... Those 60 Bond films look the same. They do. And it starts here, obviously. And it really does. It's not like a totally different idea next time. It starts here with a lot of those sort of soft held dissolves, you know, yeah. moving out and fade. You know, I like it. I like well, it. Well, it definitely, I feel like some of the editing in this film is better than some of the later Connery era ones. Like, for example, well, or not Diamonds, even Connery, yeah. but Diamonds, Diamonds, but also like... Um, uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I mean, the uh, you know, it, there was I I did notice. I think Mike I noticed like two. <laughs> okay, well that's f- fair enough. Uh, I, I, I guess I was just sort of just mentioning the, the Bond films. I guess in general. In the, oh yeah. in that sense for for the sixties, I guess. But um, I only noticed really two sort of like really obvious kind of jump cuts. But other than that, it was all pretty smooth and and pretty well done. And and you know and yeah. Uh, if you think of other like I'm trying to, I was trying to think of other films I would have seen from uh you know between like say 60 and 63 just even though like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't know I would say that if I was trying to think I would think the editing here is probably a lot smoother than uh, some other films of maybe the same type of uh, genre or or category would be potentially Maybe that's a hot take. Maybe I'm just full of shit. No, no. I, that's, <laughs> 60, 40. That's, that's, yeah, that's but, uh, Absolutely. I think with Peter Hunt's style, though, what's important is the man behind all of that who's overseeing the operation. I'm not talking about Cubby or Saltzman. I'm talking about um, Terrence Young because he is the one that imprinted the Bond style. Like, not only yeah. did he get Connery, you know, 
looking like a gentleman or given you know the impression of a gentleman anyways mm. uh, which is perfect for bond because that's the veneer that's you know mm. on exactly that's that the he, costume that the sophistication beneath it's it a monster is, in a skin suit yeah. it's yeah it's basically you know like there's a yeah. there's not a, a far difference between craig's bond and connery's bond in my opinion no except you know no. aesthetically no. there's a very close similarity mm-hmm. to it except for craig is more of a modernized uh, portrayal of bond I, I guess you could say no, the, but the performances are similar. They really are. Terrence Young, uh, when it comes to you know using Peter Hunt, when it comes to using Bob Simmons, when it comes to using uh, Ted Moore and all the other important players in the film and, and the Bond series, uh, he's the one that I think puts the stamp on it with Doctor No. Continues it from Rush of Love, and then we get the bit of the more of the whiz bang, the um, the gimmickry starts coming in with Guy Hamilton, and so mm-hmm. you get kind of a mesh of those styles as the series. They bounce back and forth between the Terrence Young Bond and the Guy Hamilton Bond. And even though we have different directors over time, there's still, you know, a connection between the two. Um, there's always like one's going to be a Guy Hamilton Bond style film. One's going to be a Terrence Young style Bond film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can I ask you, Jeff, um, Josh and I have spoken, obviously, at length throughout this, the podcast, this different seasons of, you know, no our way. relationship with our granio, getting the movies and VHS yeah. and all that stuff. And... I'm just wondering, is this one that you watched with your dad way back when? No, I would have to say no. Um, so this I, was when you joined us and we just did this together and you took the ride? Yeah, this is one of those. Correct. Cool. Okay, cool. It was funny, while I'm watching, I'm like, I'm not as, I don't know, bothered as, oh, quote unquote, bothered. Uh, it's the last time I watched it. Because I know that we we definitely, you know, gave it a good, <laughs> you know, seeing to. Ribbon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but this did, time, yeah. I, I I did actually. I really enjoyed it um, on a, on a few different levels, and I really really appreciated Connery uh, and just sort of the tradecraft and just watching. Like I actually really enjoyed his facial features in a lot of scenes when you can kind of you can see why he's doing things, or he's kind of like pleased with himself doing certain things, like when he's mm-hmm. he gets into yeah, that, I mean, as an actor. Like oh, as an actor. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, but I meant more of like once he, he calls the police and throws uh Taro in the car oh, and then he's yeah. like, Oh, so yeah, now yeah. I'm gonna like <laughs> let's let's set the scene. It's like, oh I'm gonna, you know, have two yeah. glasses of That's a wonderful like, oh, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my coat down. Like I really like <laughs> those scenes in the in the Connery Bonds when he's you know uh, you know he's checking his room for bugs and all that kind of stuff, and you really maybe it's because he's got you know seventeen inch eyebrows, but you can really see his face and just sort of how Those he's move. Holy crap, man! I was watching him like wow, like his his eyebrow, like he trims those eyebrows and they go all the way. He can like they can connect to his sideburns, um, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways. But my point is, is that you I really like sort of just the way he was doing things with his facial feature, you could really see him think about what he's doing next and like how he's, he's sort of going through like a mental, like a spy's mental checklist of how am I, how should I do this and what's going to happen? That, and, that's, that, and that was enjoyable to watch. And then I was thinking, I mean, yes, there are spy movies and there's a cold war in, if you're, if we're looking at, at, uh, at a lot of films that are coming out at that time. But I also feel like, the way the how thorough it is and what he's doing is sort of I would say it's groundbreaking at the time and I thought it was very well done. Yeah, absolutely. 
interesting too is that uh, well, not interesting. It's more of it's obviously on the screen is how well Connery portrays the Fleming Bond sadism. I think that's the word we're looking for. It's just that that pleasure in what he's you, he's, like, he's taking a slight pleasure in what he's doing, or yeah. at least. But maybe he's also doing it as an intimidation factor as well. But it gets the job done for him. Like he goes into like this almost alpha predator mode in order to you know he has get to the do, job he has done to and finish up, the like, mission. Yeah, finish the mission. Yeah. So you know you might as well take pleasure in its little things, I suppose. And and that's the kind of disposition that's required, you know, for a job like that. Unfortunately, but it's true. So yeah. Can you cite a moment that you really liked on that front? I don't think any scene with him and uh, Zinna Marshall is Miss Terrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's all over those. It's all over those scenes. Yeah, it, like, it, it, just absolutely. The play, the, she's playing a game with him. He's, he's way over. Yeah. The, like, he's the one who was in control of knowledge of that whole entire yeah. situation, mm-hmm. and she thinks that she's playing him. First, she lures him up there, mm-hmm. knowing that the three blind mice are going to take him out. They don't. He shows up. She's surprised, but she still plays a delay. Plays a delay, waiting for Dent to come. Right. But Bond knows this too, and of course he plays it as well. So I mean, and there's there's no situation in, in that film to me that is kind of hairy in terms of consent or anything because they're both trying to screw over the other. Is that right? a chest yeah, But Bond is the you. one. Yeah. But but Bond is the one that mm-hmm. is in control of the whole situation the whole time, right? Well, especially not a, even, that's not a Thunderball Patricia fearing moment, is it? No, no, <laughs> no. not at all. No, it's not. No, and and just looking, you know, just I'm just recalling that one particular scene. You were asking me one particular part of that. It's just when he's like sitting down in the bed, and he's going. She goes like, "I'll cook you some Chinese food." And he's like, "No, let's go out. I'm feeling Italian and musical." Mm-hmm. Like he's just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. utterly fucking with her. You know yeah, what I mean? Because like, he knows absolutely. that that's what she wants, and he's just say, yeah, and he just wants to. Let's go to. He just wants to see the reaction. He wants to see what is she going to say next. And he's like, "I know, that's right. I know, I know the, I know what you're doing." Yeah, and it's yeah. it's fun. And the it's, joy also that she that that he exhibits after he throws her in the car with the commission. Oh, yeah. He turns he's, around, he goes yeah. back in, and she's, he pours himself one of her drinks. Yeah, I love that. I love that little moment. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. That's yeah. why like, he was very happy. Yeah, with stuff. Quite like, happy. Oh, I'm going to put on the record now, because this is what we would be listening <laughs> that's right. to. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. This is what I've been wanting exactly. to hear all night. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also liked um, when he pulled her in. Um, like, he was like, oh, you know, like, it's kind of like a, like, Sexy but playful interrogation. It was kind of like a double entendre there. But I also liked mm-hmm. it because then when he pulled her close, and when he was kissing her, but then he was also looking at his watch, like <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta. Well, oh, darn, I gotta, I gotta, you know, delay here. I gotta like make up some time. So uh, okay, you know, Which I like a bit that. of a motif <laughs> in the film, really. Isn't it is it? because he starts, yeah, yeah. It, he starts it with trench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. When he arrives at, at at her bungalow. And she's in the room talking to Dent, obviously on the phone. And he wa- and notice he takes the towel that he had from her, and it's like, mm-hmm. and he's like, kind of like, it's almost like it's going to garrot her, or or is ready to move at any second, right? When he walks into the room, yep. and there's just yeah, this it's menace. Direction. It's just menace there, right? And that's like shows the sophistication of like Terrence Young, showing those like dark, sadistic subtleties, mm-hmm. yeah. while at the same time making it look so classy in terms of how it was filmed and stuff, right? So, yeah. And then, of course, we have the big, the cherry on top of that sequence then is after Tara was gone, then we have the amazing setup of Dent's death. Like, I'm talking about putting the music on, having his drink, setting the couch up, going into the room, Mm -hmm. playing the canasta while he's waiting for the... uh, Oh, it was canasta? I thought he was doing solitaire. Maybe that's... Yeah, I thought he was playing solitaire. 
Oh, sorry. So- Canasta is a group game. Yeah, you need I more was thinking, yeah, like, bodies there. There's yeah. so many references to Live and Let Die. I don't play cards. Miss Tarot, yeah. uh, Tarot Cards, uh, Solitaire. Right. <laughs> I was like, man, this is all yeah. Live and Let Die. T-A-R-O. Way before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. T-A-R-O, because <laughs> Zena Marshall, who is French, English, Irish background, is supposedly Asian in that film. Supposedly. But uh, so is Joseph Wiseman. He's supposed to be Asian as well, right? So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can see the in the, name only <laughs> the the epicanthic folds attempt that yeah, they give yeah. uh, Zizina Marshall there. Hey, more than a little. I wonder cringy. if it's I wonder if it's the hairpiece that's kind of holding those that makeup up. I wonder if there was like they had to have the hairpiece that way. I mean, it was probably the style at the time, and maybe that was like what wow. taped and kept it and kept like the whole thing all together or something as a backup. Who knows? Yeah, because if you see Zizina Marshall, she doesn't look like that at all. No. Like, if you look at her, like, you know, on Getty Images or something, like, yeah. That's true. Anyways, so, yeah, that whole sequence up to Dent's death. Um, Jeff pointed out to me, he was texting me, though, about some inconsistencies in terms of the editing in that sequence. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah. And I was like, wow, they just... Do you want to share that? Sure. (laughs) It's it's fun stuff. It's fun. This is what happens when you make movies, right? I mean, there's continuity here. I just was a bit surprised because, I mean, they keep talking about the Walter PPK. And I swear to God, the only time he actually has one is when they give it to him in that scene. Every other time, (laughs) it's not a friggin' Walter PPK. It's not. It's not. I don't know if you... He does use the Walter PPK at least once during the dragon shoot, but it no, no, jumps he does, back but it and jumps forth. back and forth yeah. because to the cult or something. No, it's a Colt forty-five, and then when he shoots, and then it goes back, and like you can clearly see when he shoots it, it's out of bullets because uh, the barrel, like it shows it is out of bullets, and then it cuts yeah. back, and then he's shooting again, <laughs> and then it shows him again just pointing, and it's the other gun. I'm like, oh my god, guys, you're killing me here. And also, I was oh, like, could cool. we, you know, a, a six shooter that's maybe a forty-five and a and potentially a nine millimeter shooting at like a, a basically it's like a personnel carrier with a flamethrower because that's going to do a lot of good. Why don't you just <laughs> why don't you just grab some of the shells that they have and around you at the and fuselage. throw them? Because what the hell are you going to do? <laughs> like unless you can shoot yeah. the gas tank, which I'm fairly certain the gas tank would be on the back. Anyways, yeah, he well, talked about his t- he talked about the tires like he was going to go after the, the tire. tires. Yeah, because so. I thought it was I thought I had like tank treads. Anyways, that's kind of what I thought too. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, dialogue but, that got but, stuck. But in and then the other thing was that in in the scene at Miss Tarot's, when it shows him pull out his gun and he's you know putting on the silencer, that is not a Walter PPK. And I was like, even just looking at him, like that doesn't look like one. And I was like, nope, that's an FN. That's and that's uh, it's an M nineteen. It literally has to, FN on it. Yeah, you could literally. I'm yeah. not. It's not just like well, maybe no, it's not because I know that and I know that gun because it's famous because it's the exact same model that was used by Gabriel Princip, uh, the the black hand agent that uh, shot the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Uh, hmm. That that was you know the, Sarajevo. In Sarajevo, that basically was a catalyst to uh, the First World War, the Great War. Anyways, I thought that was funny. And then the line when he says to Dent, you've had your six. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense because, one, it looks like it's a Colt 45. But I did look. Through, there are some Smith & Wessons that look like the Colt 45. But regardless, none of those magazines, in, even in that type of Smith & Wesson, would have six shots. 
they would have between seven and nine. So I was like, I don't know why they even said that. <laughs> so maybe the original script dent, as you said. Well, that's what I said. Maybe had a revolver. Maybe he had a revolver because yeah, because everyone knows Smith and Wesson are like uh, mostly yeah. are revolvers. Yes, exactly. And uh, so interesting. Cool. I like that. Anyways, I just was like that kind of just drove me nuts because I looked it up and I was like, I, I was like, well, that just doesn't make sense to me. But whatever. But it is a kind of criteria that does exist nowadays too. The one that Jeff has is that not a lot of people are looking at guns, right? Like or the makes of guns. Well, or, but back or to, I, again, that's no one's. Who, who's, I'm, I'm not trying to criticize your oh, no, no, your no, no, no. I get it. I get at it. all. No, no. I'm just fine. saying is that. I'm just. Picking. I have a friend. I'm just picking. Yeah, that's all. Who watches military movies and he's in the military and he's he can be very critical of military movies, whereas average Joes like myself or non non serving individuals, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. uh, are are kind of just like, okay, well, action sequence, people got you know, boom, 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 you know, that's that's, that's right. fine with yeah. me. It, it it did what it had to do, right? And of course, as I mentioned in the beginning, like continuity editing, is, yeah, especially it's, back it's in 1961, when you're gluing like yeah. uh, celluloid right. together. Using celluloid together. Well, no, that's it. I get it. Where you don't I, have, I mean, yeah. it's different. It's different. On, on that subject, like, um, don't you also think that the remastering of film stock and that, digitization uh, and the kind of yeah. high definition enable us to be looking back and finding more of these things than well, the yeah. cinema watcher would have picked up on? Well, oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. I just hope they don't go back and George Lucas, the original Bond film. Just, just leave them as <laughs> no, they are. Continuity, continuity do errors. You know, never I, I don't want that. Sean Connery edited in with like auto tune saying no, oh, oh, world die, something like that. Auto tune <laughs> or D Scottish. Oh, D Scottish. Oh dear. Anglicized. You know what I mean? Imagine Anglicized. Doing that to, to oh, well, oh. ask Ursula Andrus about that. Who has this lovely Swedish accent? Yeah. And then they, mm-hmm. Nikki Vanderzyl, you know, who takes up the roles of the the voice, the vocals of majority of, of the first half of the Bond franchise, or at least the, the mm-hmm. 60s franchise anyways, right? You'll never see I that mean, in our day and age today. It's too, no, it's too celebratory of multiculturalism and, and, you know, national voice and stuff. And that's a damn good thing. So I don't, I, I think the Bond films are safe as they are originally, yeah. you know, intended. Because think, let's face it, George Lucas went back and did it because it's George Lucas and it's his product. Whereas here, yeah. we've got, you know, the ownership's changed hands. I don't think that that would be of interest or benefit to Amazon, yeah. would it? I'm wondering what, what was the, I mean, they mentioned they wanted to have Nikki Vanderstyle because they wanted to show kind of like a, a sexual curiosity, but also mixed with innocence as well. That's what they said in the documentary anyways, and why they chose mm-hmm. Nikki Vanderstyle to dub Ursula Andress. But they also dubbed... Uh, Eunice Gason. So she must have had like a really strong, like, I don't know, Cockney accent or something. Because I know she's English. I don't know what she actually sounds like. But, uh, you know, I guarantee she doesn't sound like that. You know, so she must have had some kind of accent that was just too, oh, it's a Yorkshire girl or something like that. That people just wouldn't kind of That's see That's what I was thinking. Maybe she's from the <laughs> I north. Don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or she could be, she could be from Cornwall Dorset. or something. I she could be a Geordie. But then again, Lois Maxwell is clearly Canadian. Yeah, you can hear her. Uh, you can hear her. Like yeah. you can hear the traces of that accent, right? And she doesn't even try to put on the received pronunciation when she does Money Penny. Mm. Like I don't even see. It, I don't recall any effort of her sounding overly British. You know, yeah. or, even watching the series again, like I don't recall Lois Maxwell ever trying to be. But then, of course, Canada was part of the Commonwealth. Part of the Commonwealth. So yeah, it's, it's believable that they would of- that they would have a Canadian secretary in MI6. Absolutely, I would I would buy that one hundred percent. 
I would. So, guys, um, why, why don't we talk a little bit? Why don't we talk a little bit about um, the, the bits of Doctor No that uh, hold up well, or are at least testament pieces to what comes later? You know, like um, what does it serve the franchise in terms of blueprint? Well, the um, establishment uh, of of the Bond villain archetype for sure is yeah. what Joseph Wiseman offered the film. Yeah, yeah the, like the, the, um, the presentation of Doctor New. Well, big, yeah, the big villain. Uh, yeah, dropping the, the breadcrumbs, as we say, uh, and obviously, like you know, having in, in the big set room where they're having the dinner, and then um, the villain sort of just sort of, oh, I'll just tell you everything, but also ex- yeah. explaining. Um, yeah. Explaining what Spectre is and sort of dropping those breadcrumbs as as to, you know, potentially showing, like, there may be more things going on here, leaving that open for potentially more films. Um, Yeah. Because maybe a lot of the people that were going to see it just thought this was just a a movie and not based on, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of No intention of a series, yeah. Yeah, right? So... I also think that the um, the legacy feature in the dialogue is really striking. And I I wasn't looking for this. It just kind of stood out to me because I remember as I was working away in the kitchen there watching this, I, I, I heard that and I'm like, that kind of sounds like a Roger Moore thing. This is after he's killed the uh, the driver and he says to the uh, <laughs> the dude who comes out of the hotel, oh, Sergeant, make sure he doesn't get away. Oh, that, yeah. That, that was kind of weird. You know, that, like, that kind of acerbic wit. And then he says it again <laughs> yeah. when he's like, I think they were on their way to a funeral. And yeah. Then, yeah. And that's only 22 yeah. minutes into the movie, that first yeah. one. And and by that yeah. point, yeah. You've, esta- you've established that that sort of witty true, yeah. darkness, which, you know, here it's I'm presenting dark. a dead body. I'm going to make a joke. And the a guy looks <laughs> at it and he's like, oh, he's like surprised. And yeah. that that features in well, all these films to a certain yeah. extent, right? Like, oh, she's, <laughs> yeah. can you look after my pal? What's he say in Thunderball? Can you look after her? She's just dead on her she's feet or dead. something like that. Like, yeah, Fiona. That's it. Here it is in Doctor No, and that that sticks through, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What if, yeah. Just to give background on that, so that line was supposed to be delivered not acerbically at all. Like it was just, just kind of just like uh, oh. it was supposed to be kind of very touch dryness, right? And then that's it. Mm. But Terrence Young and Connery agreed to play it as a as a you know as a one liner, oh, you know as, as a one liner, and they actually went through the script and changed things as they filmed. Like that line about the funeral was improved, huh. uh, n- yeah, not from the printed, oh, print, printed script. I was gonna say like at, the guy was smiling, yeah. and I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, I was like, <laughs> what a, a funny normal moment. person, who, like, <laughs> yeah. a very young construction worker, probably very poor working uh, he in was, Jamaica and he's like someone just fell yeah. to their death and blew up I'm just gonna he, keep he was digging <laughs> yeah exactly he was definitely one of the locals that that, that they casted that yeah. particular actor because you can tell as you mentioned Jeff like he's he's kind of smiling <laughs> because I think what it is is that he's an untrained actor yeah exactly so he has to react has to what to react. Connery says in some way but you can tell that he was anticipating the reaction the line from Connery so that the smile was already it was, he was you know you could see he was ready to go to kind of acknowledge the line the one liner you know what I mean yeah and I'm just trying, I'm thinking too much well, no too no much I don't it, think but. so but I'm also just I mean part of me was also thinking like so who's gonna call this in? Like, is he gonna call the supervisor? Like, uh, yeah, sorry, I can't. I'm kind of stuck here because there was a, you know, a homicide. Hearse. Yeah, <laughs> hearse flew over. Yeah, a her- yeah. There's like a a hearse just went over the cliff in, in a ball of fire. So I'm not gonna be able to finish this today. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Oh, of course, we also have the establishment of Felix Leiter to the franchise, an ongoing yeah, character. Allies. Yeah, I, I love ben the Allies. I love the Allies in this film. They really work yes. well. Yeah, they really do. work well. Yep. I have issues with how Quirrell ended up. Yeah, well, was, me too. Big time. That was yeah. stupid. Yeah, but as Jeff's told me in, in the text team that he said is that there's an issue with a lot of black characters I was and how say, they die in, in the Bond no, series. There seems to be a like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Quarrel to his son was definitely a more proficient agent when it came to the, being in the heat of things. That's for sure. Mm. Well, he but didn't have as much a, heat on him. Is that a pun? No, is that a pun, Joshua? Pardon the, the pun. <laughs> Double uh, pun. Okay. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, um, I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but but to me, I, it just reinforced it again. Jack Lord uh, and Jeffrey Wright are my favorite Felix Lighters. Like, I wish Jack I Lord had continued yeah. in the role because yeah. he was just mm-hmm. so good. Yep. He was, was nice. he was good. And he looked he great, cool. guys. He looked really good, yeah. too. I thought he was really oh, yeah, sharp he looking. He, he's believable. Yeah, I love yeah. his, his style. Yeah. And I, I just like those little scenes before he talks where you know that he's following Bond and he's very thorough and he yeah. doesn't give it away. Like and, and like Connery, I mean, sorry, like Bond doesn't, if he does know he's being followed, he, I mean, he knew something was up, but he, he didn't know Lighter was also following as far as I know. That's right. Yeah. Which is it's impressive. down to the editing and direction as well. Right. Yeah. I, I, I didn't I mind Siege. So. Yeah. I didn't mind Siege and Goldfinger, Siege Linder. He, he was professional in the role. Yeah, he was good. I, yeah, he was, was good. And he was likable. But to, I don't know. To me, Jack Lord just feels more Felix Lighter to me. Sure. He seems someone that could be a bro with Bond, you know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to, yeah. you know, the, well, I think the older kind of gentleman are. in Goldfinger. I think they are. They are kind of bros. Yeah. And and one of the things I really liked about the scene where Pussfella and Quarrel, they go into the back room and all of that stuff, and he's like, oh, oh no, yeah. no, there's no use trying. He wrestles alligators, that thing, right? After yeah. Felix comes in and he reveals himself and they get on, I love the way that the air is cleared in that yeah. scene. Yeah, yes. I mean, I noticed it gone. before. The tension's gone, but they all walk out together. They have their dinner. And yeah. I I just, I really like that. And of course, it, it transitions into the evening where they're sitting and they're having their dinner. And that, to me, is just like the no time to die scene in Jamaica where they're at the bar and the music is blocking that conversation. You got CIA, yeah. you got oh, MI6. Yeah. It's almost like a similar sort of thing that they've decided to point. go for, an homage there, you know? That's a, a little point. bit, uh, yeah. I, and I, I agree you, you that got, I also... You got, what's his name? What's the dude's name? Logan Ash in No Time to Die. It's like, uh, it's like the yeah, photographer. character. You know? Yeah, yeah. You kind of got a bad person coming in trying to do shit. Although it's not quite the same way. I know. Anyway, I just I just like the warmth there of the four of those guys together. Quarrel, well, Felix, and... I agree. I, mean, I know Plendel Smythe isn't in that scene until later, but I like the four of them. They work well. No, you're right. And I, oh. I, I also like that scene. And the reason I, and I mean, I'm, I guess I'm going to sort of explain the same thing as you did, but it's more that once they clear the air, because they're all professionals in, you know, intelligence, spycraft, you know, uh, they know that that's just a part of the job. So once they clear that, then they're like, hey, it's, we're just doing our jobs. We understand. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly we, right. we had a bit of a Relax. desktop, but now that we know what's going on and we're yeah. pretty much all on the same side. You know, let's yeah. just sit down, have a drink, and go forward. This kind of stuff happens. So, and everyone was cool with it. It wasn't like as much as it's like, oh, that could be a deal breaker. You're like, eh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they all understand this kind of thing can't happen. And and so I was like, I was totally cool with that, and it made sense to me. So I was like, yeah, that's fine. I wonder if that bar on on the on the key there, the Pussfellows bar, was that mm-hmm. a Ken Adam design? Was that a Ken Adam production set? Or was that an actual on-location bar? Because I got to say, I, I, wanted to be in, I wanted to be in that bar. Yeah. I wanted to sit down and have a red yeah, stripe. Yeah, yeah. Like, It looked like yeah. a hot place to go. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then at nighttime, it looked looked popping, right? Cubby's Corner. Your Cubby's Corner would have showed it. We would have revealed that on the I think we did. I just can't remember now. I've just forgotten to. Apologies there, guys. So, okay, moving forward and maybe even moving towards a conclusion of our chat, because we only wanted to give this about, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. I mean... We owe a lot to Dr. No, obviously, because yeah. the success of the film enabled the second, and the success of and, that almost uh, paved uh, the way for the for, 60s. So, exactly. What are your favorite takeaways of it? I mean, for me, it's the style of the movie. I know Thunderball yeah. is yeah. probably, along with Goldfinger, probably the most stylish of the Connery Bonds, but the budget here only allowed for, I think, hang on, I'm just going to check this book. You guys remember that we did a review of this uh, from Taylor's What Love book by Brooker and Spazier. Um when we did the review of Dr. No, this book hadn't been published. So I went back to read some of this stuff and I was quite surprised to learn that um, there were only three suits available, like budgeted for this movie. There was a, a dark blue, or a, there was a black and white, what have I got here? There was a dark gray woolen flannel yeah. suit, one light gray suit and a yeah. black and white Glenn check suit. Um, there was a dinner coat as well for the opening scene in the oh, yeah, casino. The white, but the white one, yeah. Just really sparse style. Bond gets a lot out of his clothes in this movie. He does. I think he looks really, really good. Like that high waist, the high waist, no belt look. I mean, it helps that Connery is a tank. That obviously helps. Because that looks... He's he's not a tank like, he's not a tank like uh, Daniel Craig. And I think he looks better in his clothes than Daniel Craig here. I like the looser fit. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like the way the clothes work in this film. Um... Just think for the endurance of Bond, you know. I think that the sacrifices All the they made look great in this movie. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean the women too, like, too. But like we talked about Felix Leiter, he's really sharp looking, you know. And yeah. I think M looks good in the scenes he's in. Plendel Spice Ursula looks, looks good. good. Well, of course she does. Yeah. There. But to be yeah. fair, I was saying to Jeff, I actually really like that Mandarin dress thing that she wears or or whatever with like the pants like that she looked pretty stylish her, in that yeah. too i have yeah. to Two say sisters give her mm. yeah the, the creepy nuns that's right and i mean yeah. and joseph wiseman obviously established the Nero jacket uh <laughs> for, the, yeah, for, the, right. for the bond villains going forward right like so blofeld so he must have saw blofeld style and was like i can do better than that even though he, yeah. he decided to join with specter um, How do you guys feel about about the fact that Doctor No was the first film adapted, and of course by that point in the Fleming sweep, the repartee with Money Penny, um, like if, if they had started with uh, Casino Royale, like as you know they did yes. in the fifties for the television show, if that was the first film that they decided to do, they wouldn't have had that repartee with Money Penny. And I no. think the fact that Doctor No had established it, and there was that scene in the office that they could really play on it, that helped create a trope that would follow as well. So yeah. I'm quite pleased that they went for this book, because this book had that little nugget in there that would allow for the character development and the relationship well, that's, later on. That's what I think yeah. is important, is that it also, uh, even though this is sort of like the initial film... Even, it was nice to see that chemistry that they choose, uh, and and it worked. So then it's like, oh, okay, something's already. It, it I guess what it is, uh, at least at least from a, from a viewing standpoint for me, uh, the way I felt was, I'm like, oh, okay, so you can see all the different people that make that make the MI6 that make sort of what what's going on here work. You can see sort of that office and that uh, in the chemistry, and and that was kind of a nice nice thing to see, and I think that really works. And obviously, going forward, it's it's a trope throughout the uh, the the film series. Definitely, yeah. And I love the 
the location shooting on this picture, I think, is one of its marquee features. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And obviously, the travelogue element is so important to James Bond. Oh, to do. But exactly. here, here, maybe crunched by budget, the film benefited from lingering in space and time. And yeah, lingering I in think, location, I think it Which is something did. we talk about all the time, eh? I really love Jamaica here in this movie. And the more I watch it, I like it more and more, you know? It's, um, it's as impressive as hell, man. It, it really yeah. is. And yeah. It's nice to see. Uh, then those Ken Adams sets, boy, they're they're cool. I remember when we did our top uh, layers and stuff at the end of uh, season one. Um, yeah, I remember us uh, discussing that Doctor No layer, and I loved it. It was one of my top favorites, man. Yeah, and the, again, I pointed in terms of Easter eggs, of course, yeah. uh, which was put in the film deliberately by Joanna Harwood, which was the, the Goya painting of uh. Nelson. Right. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. because stolen that was actually a famous painting that was stolen. So yeah. Joanna Harwood, this co-screenwriter, she basically said, "What if Doctor No was the one who stole the painting?" <laughs> that's cool. so and that's why like that. Bond yeah. that's took an extra, yeah, extra exactly, couple seconds and gave it the real hairy eyebrow. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. can't give anything anything he does. Can't do anything less. Give it a hairy eyebrow, but yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. Not just what Jeff said about the talking villain, but we also have Bond provoking the villains, getting yeah, them to anger. Yeah. And I love how Wiseman builds up, not like that he doesn't go to a in like a rage or gets like goes over the top. Wiseman's anger is and his frustration and just his, his growing hatred towards a contempt really for Bond is shown in that scene as it builds and builds and builds, yeah. right? Like he's almost being diplomatic from the very beginning of right. the meal, but Bond just like, nope. Nope. Yeah, he's, he just, he's like he's like Hugo Drax in that way. Yeah, very much so. Hmm. And Blofeld, for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we talked about the Bond villains, talked about the on-location shootings. Uh, we, and the more problematic stuff we talked about, you know, how Quarrel dies. Like, they make him pretty stupid. You could argue that him being stereotyped as like an islander, he was drinking all the rum and he was drunk or hungover and he just couldn't keep up with the dragon. I don't know, but uh, I think he could have survived that situation. But then again, yeah. would they have killed him anyways? And mm-hmm. I guess it would be a different movie if he if he did live because there would be different whole different dynamics. Like I can't see him sitting at the table with Dr. No and, and Bond and stuff like that in that whole scene, right? Maybe... Yeah, like I, I just don't think like I guess once he reached that part of Crab Key, his story was done. Like there was yes, maybe it's the way they killed him. If, uh, if, it was, if it was killed yeah. in a different way, like I wish maybe it would be a bit him more. In a different way. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, well, he had to he, die. The moment he stayed on the island, he was going to die because at the end of the movie, it's going to be Bond and the girl, Bond and the girl in quarrel. Yeah. He's not going to be third wheel there. So unless he was to take the boat back and say, right, I'll he see didn't you later. know that. Yeah, I love the fact <laughs> that they were true, where, yeah. like <laughs> the radio know that. Yeah. I love the fact that with the radio communication pe- time period, which makes sense, you know, that Felix Leiter wouldn't know about what happened until he actually saw Bond after the mission was done. He, yeah. he doesn't even question that Quarrel isn't there. Oh, Quarrel's been oh, replaced yeah, by true. a beautiful blonde woman. I guess right. Everything's fine, I guess. <laughs> everything's good, yeah. Poor bastard. But I guess you could also, but also, I guess, in terms of proficiency and being, sorry, being a professional, automatically, a, a, you know, a blight bulb went off in Felix's mind saying, oh, Quarrel's dead. But Bond is back, so, I mean... You know, he mm-hmm. had to kind of look on this on the bright side of things, I, I suppose, right? And maybe he'll have a drink to quarrel afterwards and tell his family and his, and his young son. And this will inspire his young son to work mm-hmm. for the CIA uh, in uh, 
Well, yeah, I mean, you, you can in, fan service in that Sa- one. In, in San Monique, in San Monique. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, may, maybe Amazon's working on that script right now. Maybe that's one of the, the holes they're going to uh, plug, is how Quarrel Jr. Robert got Brent. involved. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Up with my uh, J.W. Pepper and Solitary Detective Agency story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. It's going to be good, boy. Oh, uh, boy. All right, well, guys, is there, is there much more we need to do here with this little hour of coffee talk? I mean, we, I, I think we've... We've had a chat. Yeah. We've offered our listeners some some chat and ideas, but n- none of us are going to sit here and slam Dr. No. This is never what it's all about. We've done yeah. a review on it, but this is just uh, an opportunity for us to reflect after 60, 60 years. We're, we're not that old. and um, Yeah, it's the oldest running franchise, film franchise. It's, it's incredible, yeah. So thank you, Dr. Conclusion. No. Conclusion. Dr. No is good. Conclusion. Yeah. It seems that they chose the the right uh, fleving Bond novel to start yeah. the film franchise. Uh, if, I mean, in this sense, not including the uh, Casino Royale, obviously. Yeah. So and I'm the, pleased uh, that Monty Norman only did this film, and that John Barry takes over after the the end of this, because we might not have the same feeling to, you know, the whole idea of yeah, the franchise yeah. without. Without that orchestration of the James Bond theme, which uh, took us into new territory with From Russia With Love, I'm really, really pleased that Monty Norman didn't get the, the chit for the next one. Did you know that Monty Norman got the James Bond motif from a, uh, a musical of House for Mr. Biswas? Mm-hmm. I sure did. That's yeah. where he, that's where he grabbed... Yeah, but well, it was I mean, in he, a play too. It, it, he yeah. and I think he he produced it, or he sorry he scored it on on like right. uh, London stage or something. It was, a, it was like a leftover that, right? a leftover theme that he kind of repurposed for this film, yeah. which also tells you how interested he was in scoring the movie. You know, I got this thing I never never really used. I'm just going to use it again. And, yeah, uh, I was born under a bad sign, and yeah. that's basically <laughs> that's right. what he that's right. got the Bond theme from. Which is kind of fitting if you think about it when it comes to James Bond, especially <laughs> is, yeah. given, given how the last James Bond movie ended. Oh. <laughs> but it's <laughs> <laughs> for another day. For another day. Another day. Great, great book by. Yeah, the way. I was gonna say great. That, that book, <laughs> A House for Mr. Biswas. Good one. I remember cool. enjoying that one. But yes. Uh, thanks for listening everybody this was good fun just a little retrospective just a little reflection on uh, Dr. No at 60 from uh, your pals here at Bond by Numbers and we will see you again soon so take care underneath the mango tree and you can turn down Josh's singing just about (laughs) (laughs) mine's better than Connery's (laughs) 